Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Isn't that awesome? Guys, uh, these are the stories that get us out of bed every morning. Um, Serhei, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's not easy to do that with a room full of strangers, but these are the things that we are so excited about a new church for, is uh, people taking steps towards Jesus, and we believe the church should be the safest place in the world to ask questions and the safest place in the world to be challenged to follow Jesus more, and I love stories like that. Um, So my name is Chris. I'm one of the two co-pastors here, and I want to welcome you to City Church OTR's official launch Sunday. Guys, welcome. Yeah, and my name is Tyler, and today uh, we are celebrating, we're recognizing the event that launched Christianity into the world. Uh, We're going to zero in on that moment that changed everything. We're remembering and we're reflecting upon that morning where life conquered death. Uh, where hope beat fear, where a movement of love and self-sacrifice found its unstoppable power. We're uh, hoping that through our time together today, we can draw some fresh encouragement uh, in our walks with Jesus if we have those, or maybe we might even find some fresh reason to believe, some renewed faith uh, in this story that we believe shapes all stories. But before we can get there, we've got to start with some brutal facts, because the reality is that you can't have a resurrection unless something dies first. And Jesus' death was particularly violent. So in the New Testament, we have four accounts of Jesus' life, uh, two by eyewitnesses, two by historians that interviewed people. And so we're going to choose to follow or uh, listen to John's gospel. So my favorite uh, pastor, Tyler Cherneski, likes to say that Jesus had a best friend and his name was John. And John took note of all the things that he was an eyewitness to. And so John does this great job of giving us the crucifixion, the story of the garden, the resurrection. And so we'll be in John's gospel uh, this morning. It'll be on the screen. But it starts in a garden. Jesus is unfairly arrested. Maybe you've read this story. Maybe you've seen uh, The Passion of the Christ or another movie depicting it. But it starts in a garden, and Jesus is unfairly arrested. He uh, is taken by a mob. And one of, his, uh, one of the guards actually reaches out to grab Jesus. And Peter, uh, the more zealous of Jesus' friends, cut off, cuts off his ear. And, and we all want friends like John. Sometimes you need a friend like Peter that's willing to do something like that. And before Jesus is arrested, and this is just classic Jesus, he reaches out to the man that's arresting him and he heals his ear. Jesus showed unbelievable grace to his enemies. And he's taken into uh, what we now know as an illegal trial in Jewish law. It's in the middle of the night. It's filled with half-truths and accusations and things that aren't really there. And finally, the Jewish leaders determine, you know what? We want him dead, but according to our law, we can't kill him. Let's have Rome do our dirty work. So they bring Jesus before uh, this Roman governor, this kind of puppet uh, of Caesar. His name is Pontius Pilate. And, uh, And Pilate's intrigued because he hears that there's another king in town. And so John does this great job, and we're going to read this conversation. John does this great job of recording this conversation between Pilate and this conversation between Jesus. Specifically, Jesus says to Pilate, as he's curious about his kingdom, 
He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he goes on and later on, he says that the reason that I was born and that came into the world is to testify to truth. And Pilate says that famous response. He says, what is truth? Same question 2,000 years later that is totally relevant. What's true? What should I be giving my life after? Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus so graciously but also pointedly points him to truth. Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. And Pilate realizes, you know what? This is nothing more than a private vendetta that the Jews have against you. So he says, you know, I have no basis to crucify him. But being a little bit weak and wanting to keep the crowd quiet, he says, I will make a compromise. And so Pilate has Jesus flogged. And he's whipped 39 times with straps of leather that had glass and bone and stones on the end of them. Some don't even make it past flogging. And finally, Pilate, to kind of quiet the bloodthirsty crowd, he brings Jesus out. And as soon as the chief priests saw, this is in John 19, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because, catch this, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. So Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. Jesus also examined by the enemies, the very ones that arrested him, and he was still found faultless. It's incredible. But Pilate still gave in to the crowds, and he said, okay, I'll crucify him. And Jesus is sentenced to death, and he's forced to climb a hill carrying the very weapon that was going to eventually kill him until he couldn't actually carry it any longer. And we need to remember at this point that Jesus, according to our faith, 100% God, but also 100% man, he's still very human. And as he hangs on the cross, he does very human things. He looks at his best friend, he looks at John, and he said, I want you to take care of my mother. Very natural, last thing to do. He does another human thing. He says, I am thirsty. And John records what happens next. It says that a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked it on a sponge, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And guys, just like that, a man, a perfect man, a man that was full of grace, a man that was full of truth, a man that was examined by his enemies and still found faultless, a man was now dead on a tree. And the story appears to come to an end. The story appears to be finished. What we've got to remember and understand is that when Jesus died, his movement died with him. In those days and moments following his death, there, there were no followers of Jesus. There were no true believers left. I mean, Jesus had his mother, Mary, who was witnessing this horror happen before her own eyes. He had his aunt there. Uh, John tells us his aunt was right next to his mother's side while her son's being brutally executed. Uh, his disciple Peter, who you mentioned, has now denied him three times. Peter's publicly said, I, I had nothing to do with this guy. His followers are huddled up. They're disappointed. They're in like total shock from everything that they've witnessed and experienced. And the moments after Jesus' death, there are no followers. There are no true believers. No one believed in Jesus after his body had been taken down from the cross and buried, which I find to be a little ironic. Because Jesus had told his followers what was coming. He declared his death was imminent in this week leading up to his crucifixion. In fact, in that week, Jesus said, I am going away 
and I am coming back to you. On another occasion, he said, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He was up front with his disciples. He told them, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. But then there was this brutal execution. And when you see someone killed like that, it becomes a little harder to believe them. I mean, any trust in Jesus' promises, any hope or expectation that he would launch a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom characterized by grace and truth with love and joy at the center, any, any expectation that that would happen, it died with him that day. Jesus' followers, they were certain that their leader had died and that their movement was finished. And just finished. Have you ever had like one of those moments when it feels like something is like done and done for good, like really done, like there's no coming back from this? Have you ever had one of those moments? I got to be honest, it makes me think about the first car I totaled, uh, which is actually the only car I've ever totaled, and it wasn't even my car, uh, I was a, which is the best kind of car to total. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Carl and Jill, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I was a pastor uh, in Kansas City at the time, and I was borrowing a car from a sweet couple in our congregation. My car needed a lot of work done, so they let me borrow their car. And I kid you not, on a Sunday morning on the way to church, I lose control of this car. It spins around, and I crash right into a concrete wall on the side of the highway, right? The airbags come out. It smells like smoke. And I kind of remember, like, getting out of the car, and I realize, okay, like, I'm fine. You know, I'm in one piece. But you look at this car, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, this is done. Like, this car is toast. It's not going anywhere after this. Like, I have thoroughly wrecked this car. And after I took some deep breaths, I found, my, I found myself asking, what now? You know, what do I do now? And the truth is, totaling a car like I did, where you know the car is the only thing that gets hurt and the person walks away just fine, uh, it is, relatively speaking, easy to recover from. You know, sure, I had to make a very, very awkward phone call. Uh, that wasn't a whole lot of fun. And then there was insurance that got involved, and it cost me a little bit of money. But, but relatively speaking, recovery came quickly. Uh, but there are those moments that leave us asking, what now, that don't have such quick revolution, resolutions, right? And I think of jobs lost, uh, or confidences broken, or diagnoses received, or like documents signed. And when those things come, it can feel like everything is finished. Like there is no coming back, that these realities, you know, they're, they're heavy. And you wish they could just be resolved from a call to State Farm, but they can't, you know. <laughs> After his crucifixion, Jesus' followers found themselves asking, what now? And they, you know, they said they've given three years of their lives to following this man who'd been brutally murdered before their eyes. What do we do now? And so they find themselves huddled in this room. And I imagine that some of them felt like a whole lot of frustration. You know, like I left my job for this. I left my family for this guy. And I'm sure some of them feel a whole lot of regret. I can't believe I wasted all that time. And so they spent the weekend together behind these locked doors and then when the Sabbath restrictions that were there for the weekend, when they lifted, a few of Jesus' female followers decided they were going to go to the tomb. Because what had happened was Jesus' body had to be taken down from the cross real quickly. Sabbath was coming, and you couldn't mess with a body over the weekend. And so they took it down quick. They got it in a grave fast. But these followers says, hey, we have to go back and like wrap him properly and get him in the tomb properly. And so they make their way to his tomb. They were going to re-embalm his body when they discovered something shocking. The stone that had been blocking the door of the tomb was rolled away. 
And at first they thought maybe, you know, something's happened like, oh my gosh, did someone steal the body? Did these critics come? But then on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, again, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, so they're in a locked room, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, what happened on that first day of the week is that time and time again, Jesus showed up to his disciples, and they realized that he's not dead. He was alive. And this power of encountering the resurrected Jesus, it was something these disciples would live for. And it was something they came to die for. It was something that changed their lives and the entire world. In the moment when they encountered a risen Jesus, these disciples found new hope in Jesus' promises and new courage to share his story. Because see, before they encountered a resurrection Jesus, in the mind of Jesus' followers, like Jesus' story wasn't worth sharing. It wasn't worth sharing just because he had good teaching. I mean, his teaching was brilliant and it remains unrivaled, but his story wasn't worth sharing just because he had good teaching. And it wasn't worth sharing just because he was crucified. There were thousands of people in the ancient world who died that way. But Jesus' story became something worth living for and something worth dying for when they encountered a resurrected Jesus on that day. Because it proved to them that even when we're left asking what now, we can be confident that it is not finished yet. And he didn't just come back to life. He's actually still living. Like he's still alive right now. And in this life, this resurrection, I mean, practically speaking, has real implications to our life right now. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if there is a resurrection, I mean, let's just assume that that's true. Let's assume that he raised from the dead. That means a few things. One, it means that there must be some kind of supernatural power. And not just any kind of supernatural power, but like one that's relatively strong. Because dead things usually stay dead. Public school biology. So... (laughs) A plus. Thank you. (laughs) So dead things stay dead, but there's this kind of power, but it's not just this really strong power up there. It must be like down here, and it's not just down here, but it's actually in and around us, and it might not even just be a power. It might be, if you will, a God who is here right now. There's a God that's actually active among us, and if the resurrection is true, that has serious implications for our life. And John records not only the crucifixion and the resurrection, but he starts to record even why. He said, Here, here's the reason I took, you know, pen to paper or quilt to parchment or whatever. He said, here's the reason I wrote this down. In John 20, he says, I did this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I did this so that you can believe, like instantaneously, one moment, and I did this so that you can be believing. So it's both a back then thing and it's an ongoing thing. It's uh, relevant back then, but it's also active in our life right now. And because the resurrection isn't just historical truth, but it's also our current reality, that means that Jesus is still on the move, Hmm. (laughs) right? Jesus is still on the move. So it wasn't just something that happened back then. It's actually still relevant right now. And because Jesus didn't just heal, that means he's still healing. He didn't just forgive, he's still forgiving. He didn't just speak, he's still speaking. He didn't just revive, he's still reviving. Jesus is still on the move in our world today, amen? Yeah. He's moving in the world. And it's not just some historical fact. It is something that actually affects our life right now. And that's good news. 
That's really, really good news for us. It's not irrelevant history, but it's something that's practical right now. And because Jesus didn't just rise from the dead 2,000 years ago, guys, guess what? He's not finished yet. And this message about a God who is alive and still involved and engaged and active in the world, this is something that makes Christianity unique. Hmm. I mean, other philosophers, other religions, other worldviews, they, they pledge allegiance, they devote themselves to gurus or leaders or thinkers who lived once but who live no longer. I mean, Muhammad is dead and buried in Medina, and Buddha died of food poisoning, and Kant's remains are in Russia, and Nietzsche got pneumonia, but Jesus Christ is alive. That's good. And if those claims, if that, you know, raises something and you're like, oh, I want to talk more about it, or oh, that offended me a little bit, that's why we have happy hour. I mean, we love talking about this stuff because we're convinced, and we've built our lives around it, our futures together. I mean, this church, right, it's all a reflection of that reality that Jesus is alive and that it makes all the difference. I mean, we believe this is better than Voltaire's enlightenment. We believe this is truer than Heidegger's nihilism, right? We are convinced that Christ's message is one you can trust. Why? Because Jesus raised from the dead, and it authenticates his message. What he said can be trusted. And what Jesus said while he was here is that there's a God who's not angry at us ultimately or mad at us ultimately, but a God who loves us, and he loves me, and he loves you, and he loves everyone in this room, and he loves us so much that he would come himself to take care of our deepest problem with sin and resolve it himself, take all the punishment on himself, and invite us into life that is truly life. And Christ's resurrection underscores that that message can be trusted, that it's true that we can have confidence in it. You see, from the very beginning, the power of the Christian message comes from Christ's resurrection. That's what this guy, Paul, who we both like a lot, says that without the resurrection, this whole faith thing is futile. Because Christ rise from the dead, we can have a whole lot of confidence that he can be trusted. Without it, it's not worth our time. Guys, Christianity, it's the faith of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances. And why do we know that? Why do we know that God's arms are open and he's always having us back, that God is love? It's because Jesus said so and he died and was raised and he can be trusted. And his resurrection proves that new life is available to us all, no matter what we've done or where we've been. So he raises from the dead, and then he leaves. <laughs> Why? I mean, and he didn't just leave. He said, actually, it's better that I go away. How could that possibly be true? And I want you to imagine, just for a second, imagine if Jesus was, like, actually here. And I know he's here, omnipresent. <laughs> sure. I get it, Christians. Right. Yeah. But like, what if like <laughs> Middle Eastern Jewish yep. Jesus was like in the room? First of all, we'd probably let him preach. Nose goes. Yeah, yeah we're out. <laughs> He'd be preaching. There'd be a long line after this. We'd all get to talk to him. But why would Jesus not think that's the best form of church for us? Because that sounds really attractive. Is it because Jesus invited us to follow away and it could have possibly turned into this guru religion or this like, let's just go see Jesus religion? Is it possible that Jesus becomes the new Disney world that we talk about, we make plans to go see, and we go see him once a year, and we come back, and nothing really changes, but then we tell our friends how excited we are to go back? Is it possible that Jesus leaving and his spirit coming actually is the best thing? The church was born because Jesus left, and because he left us something to do. See, we as the church, we're gathered here today. We actually have to have these kind of functions because Jesus left, and then and the craziest thing to me in Christianity is the resurrection, followed shortly behind, Jesus asks us to partner with him. The most capable man of all time says, no, I want you to partner with me in bringing my kingdom here. 
And John, again, he does a great job. He's recording the mission of Jesus and then the reason he's leaving. And and John uh, records this. Jesus with his disciples, this is to us too. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm giving you something to do. And the very next book in the Bible after John is this book called Acts. And it's what that book is all about. It's about Jesus leaving in the early church, being filled with the Spirit, and going throughout the world telling of that news. And, uh, and so for the next few months, we're going to be studying that book. We as a new church are going to study the original, like, OG new church. We're going to see what we can learn from them because they were on it. And guys, that book was wild. People are getting healed with handkerchiefs. There's like radical generosity. There's racial injustice. There's growing pains of a new church. And we just thought, what if we as a new church, could learn from a church that had so much success but didn't come without obstacles. Because Jesus said, no, no, I'm leaving, but I'm inviting you. I'm inviting us in to follow this way. But he didn't say that we have to do it alone. He said, no, no, I'm inviting you to follow this way, but I'm inviting you to do it together. The language we use around here is family on mission. He said, I want you to be a family on mission. I'm inviting you to see Cincinnati or to see the world flipped upside down with my love, but we get to do it as friends and family. And so Jesus, the craziest story that's ever taken place, the most just man dies the most unjust death. He's raised again, defeating death. He's ascended to God the Father in glory. And guys, guess what? He is still not finished yet. Yeah, I mean, this act, this resurrection that changed the world once, it can change the world again. And it has been changing the world ever since it happened. I mean, right after Jesus raised and then went away, like Chris said, his followers decided they would actually live like Jesus lived. And so in the midst of incredible opposition from Rome and receiving some of the harshest persecution, they reshaped the world around love and self-sacrifice. I mean, what happened in Rome is like, when Jesus first leaves, there's violent opposition to Christianity. Only four centuries later, Constantine has no choice but to convert the entire empire to Christianity because there's been so much of a spread of this good news around the empire despite the Roman Empire's like biggest efforts to stop it. You know, this message of love, it could not be stopped. And the thing that's remarkable is other religions have swept the world before and since, but they've typically done so with the power of the sword. Christianity changed the world with the power of love and self-sacrifice. And people were committed to it because they were following Jesus' example, following one who gave his life for others and then found new life, resurrected life with the Father, life as it would made to be lived, full life. I mean, if this is your story, if this is the kind of life you've come to experience, if this faith in Jesus is your faith, then today is your reminder that power and hope are yours because Jesus is alive. I mean, may you be reminded that something deeper and more powerful is at work in the world and in you. And that no matter what you're facing, it's not finished yet, that there is hope of new life available today if you will just ask Jesus and the Spirit for power, right? God sees you, and He is not finished with you yet. And if this isn't your story, if you hear all this and you think, gosh, I think these guys seem nice, but they're a little kooky, that's okay too. I mean, that's why we're here. We love these conversations. But this morning is our invitation to you to consider thinking differently. I mean, maybe to ask some questions that you've been afraid to ask. 
We know that's a big step. I mean, maybe to take a step that you've been feeling for a while, but you haven't taken as it relates to your faith. To trust, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while, that the reality of Jesus' resurrection is something that might make all the difference for you. We believe it's true. It's made a massive difference in our lives, and we would love the opportunity to talk to you about what it could mean for you. Here's what we know. I mean, receiving Jesus' grace and love is super easy. Following him is more complex. We love both, and we would love to talk to you about it, okay? Email chris at citychurchotr.com. He's got better at the calendar, and one of well, we'll get together. It'll totally happen. But friends, we are so convinced. I mean, it, like Chris said at the beginning, it gets us up in the morning. It gets us in pastels and beautiful gray vests. You know, like we just Once love it because the resurrection gets us excited. It's why we're here today, and it's why we're here every Sunday. And here's why. The resurrection is the reason that if you're dealing with depression, He's not finished yet. And if you feel lonely and like nobody cares. He's not finished yet. And if you're trapped in a difficult relationship. He's not finished yet. And if you're hoping for the impossible. He's not finished yet. And if you are ashamed of who you are or of what you've done. He is not finished yet. And if anxiety is plaguing the thoughts that you have. Yeah, he is not finished yet. If there is a nagging voice of accusation that just won't go away. He is not finished yet. And if you have too many questions and not enough answers. Yeah, he is not finished yet. If you feel like this whole faith thing just isn't for you. Guys, he's not finished yet. Jesus is still on the move. And guys, this is an incredible story, but it's not just a story. It actually happened. Jesus actually raised from the dead. And there's a few responses that we could have, but the one I want to go with is I just want to worship. There is only one response that we can have in light of Jesus coming back. It's a great story. It's a great God. And, and we want to just respond in worship. I want to read uh, Paul's words in 2 Timothy. He says, This truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver, who has, catch this, who has dismantled death, obliterating all effects on our lives, and has manifested his immortal life in us by the gospel. Guys, Jesus has obliterated the effect of death on our life. <laughs> He's obliterated the effect of death on our life. So we're going to stand in worship. I've got lots of stuff going on. I've got lots of prayers that are still unanswered. But I want to challenge you to do what I'm going to do for the next few minutes. And I want you to set them aside. And I want to say, God, if you never do another good thing for me, you're still worthy of worship. If you never answer another one of my prayers, because this story is true, you're still worthy of worship. So let's stand. And I got a few questions. Is there anybody that's thankful that he, like, obliterated the effect of death? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Is there anybody that's thankful that the resurrection is actually true, that it's a story that actually yeah, happened? We'll take it, yeah. Anybody it's else that's stuff. thankful that the Holy Spirit didn't just stay up there, but he came down here, and yeah. now we get to see the dead raised. We get to yeah. see the sick healed. We get to hear the voice of God. Yeah. Is there anybody that's thankful that you don't have to do it alone? Yeah. We get to do it as a family. We get to follow Jesus in the most unbelievable way. Guys, this is an incredible story, but it's not just a story. It's a privilege that we get to walk with. And the best news yet is that he's not finished. Jesus isn't finished. He's still alive and moving in the world. And our response is a number of things. But the first and foremost is worshiping the God who is still alive.